You're now listening to the No GPS Podcast with host Mez and Aaron. Remember to share, like, subscribe, and follow. Got a show idea, complaint, interesting take, or just want to say what's up? You can reach us at nogpspodcast.gmail.com. Enjoy the show. All right, back again for the ninth episode of No GPS. Happy New Year. Kind of late to say that. <laughs> so, how you doing, Mez? Happy New Year, man. It's been a it's been a cool slide into the new year, twenty twenty three, man. Have you uh, broken any resolutions yet, or did you make any res- resolutions? Yeah, I did. I, I made and broke them. Therefore, they <laughs> shall be remain unnamed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. New, New Year's is good for that. You know, it reminds us of our ability to uh, get off the bandwagon really quick. <laughs> yeah, that's that's where the pleasure is in it, right? Like, <laughs> like yes, I will have it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever it is that I told myself not to have. And it's the most difficult time to kind of put a, a strict regime of discipline on, on ourselves right now because it's the winter and we kind of want to indulge in... Uh, just a slothful existence right and uh you know like oh, i gotta go to the gym i gotta eat right i gotta do this and yeah. why do you want to go out we'll leave that for the summer man so you can get a winter bod <laughs> exactly exactly and i definitely got that i'm in full effect definitely from from christmas i i, I think i added 10 pounds uh, <laughs> i think the weight looks good on me but it's not healthy yeah you know? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah you know we're, we're here to talk about the last three episodes of of andor and what a masterpiece, right? I think it's the best thing that Disney Plus has ever put out. It's one of the greatest things to come out in the last couple of years as far as uh, a TV series. And, you know, we're here to, to really talk about it and get into some of the overarching themes and meanings latent in the show. Um, so I guess we will start off this episode with episode 10. So we're going to talk about 10, 11 and 12. And episode 10, we don't necessarily have to go in chronological order, but episode 10 was, you know, about the great escape, right? Yeah. Um, from, you know, that prison planet, Narkina 5, and that underwater prison and uh, the brutalities and uh, the dehumanization of that facility and what it represents, what they're making, so on and so forth. There's there's so much there, right? There's, there's Andor goes there and he's a spark plug, right? He kind of shakes everybody up from a long slumber which is uh waking up is uh waking up to the realities and truths of the world is kind of a theme in this show and most of the time we wake up late but if you woke up you woke up so that's good enough uh, it might be belated so we have uh, the prison planet and you know andor uh, trying to find a way to rally the troops and he does that in this episode with, you know, the great Kino Loy character, who I think is probably going to come back uh, in some kind of way, because I believe the guy who played him, what's his name? Andrew Serkis? What's his name again? He played Snoke, right? Uh, Andy Serkis. Andy Serkis. Yeah, yeah. So he plays a, a really pivotal and special role in this because, um, unbeknownst to me, I didn't really know about the backstory of Kino Loy, but he has actually has a backstory. And he was he was like a union leader to some something to that effect um, before he got imprisoned uh, wrongfully or rightfully so. But probably not going to get an answer on that 
So he comes, I guess, with his skills. What, is he from? Is that from the books and stuff? I think it's from the books. Yeah. So obviously he's he's okay. the, the the prison capo, the the manager of sorts, and he really believes that they will be released. And you know the horrors of seeing. I think uh, his name was Yulaf, an older gentleman who passes away, and you know, and they find out through the medic. Olaf, yeah. Olaf, yeah. So they find out through the medic that hey, there's there's no leaving this place. They're just gonna reassign you, and uh, it's kind of like a, a closed loop of entrapment that the prisoners are in to be this uh, labor force for something that uh, up to this point and up to probably the post credits of episode 12 we don't know what they're making but we could kind of intuit what was being made uh, you know I know I was making my my guesses and my guess actually came true um, or be- became <laughs> the real thing oh yeah, yeah of, course, of course so yeah so <laughs> so yeah this is a, a great um, scene of escape right um, from the carceral state of affairs and we see the empire amassing this big labor force through unlawful means right and nobody really knows about what's happening so obviously they escape but we only know about two people that escape obviously Andor and then the guy who's with him Melshi but yeah that escape was just something else right like yeah. and what, what stood out to you about that like there were so many different moving parts to that Right, like Kino Loy, he kind of he has to come back into himself as a leader of men, where he's kind of resigned to his fate before Andor gets there, and even before the Great Escape. Right, he has to be coaxed in by Andor to you know get on the PA system and give everybody yeah. instructions. Well, yeah, I mean, like that's once he's uh, already started to believe. Right before that, they were uh, talking about power, or at least. The way he gets Kino on his side is they have a little uh, tete-a-tete over what power is and how power functions. And, um, I mean, it goes back to this uh, thing, this uh, popular... Maybe we've mentioned it in the last uh, couple of episodes or something. This is a popular view of power um, as something that panics, as, as something that blinks. And once it blinks, then you know that it's lost it's uh, it's hold it's powerful it's hold of power over people and that's that moment that uh, you know rebellions can emerge and um, that seems to be the point of view of the writers of this show and 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 or or Cassian is the the mouthpiece for that um, I mean he literally says to to Kino they killed a hundred people just to keep this thing quiet you know what that is and Kino says to me that sounds like power and and Cassian answers, um, to me, that sounds like power panicking. Power never panics. Like, uh, a, you know, if you if you really had um, everything under control, you wouldn't do something like that. But that, of course, you know, centers around this idea that killing 100 people is uh, is a moment of panic. That it's uh, not, you know, that, that I mean, that's, that's the point where I think I diverge. My own idea of power has always been as accommodating resistance and folding things into it and ingesting it and if you if you're a guy for dialectics i guess you could call it sublation um how the same thing even after a huge event the same thing somehow just continue on as they were before um but within the show which i've uh, even mentioned before i think seems for to to be made possible by the trumpian moment for a lot of (laughs) liberals in uh in hollywood 
who feel radicalized by this uh this you know nationalist situation that's uh, popping up all over the world this kind of uh, revanchism um of male anger and uh you know everything is kind of coming to the fore everything is out online you know you can see everything all the crimes like you can see right through the holes of order as as orderless at the moment and um i think that's what inspired this, the showrunners to write this i think that's where all the fervor is behind and uh, uh one lewis uh, ricardo gordon has said this uh, 10 years ago as well uh, to him this is the moment that everyone's been waiting for even uh, from a decolonial point of view that um all these uh, daytime killings by cops and and um all these leaked emails and whatnot everything is kind of out in the open this, this just shows you that the the giant is finally starting to crumble and uh you know <laughs> i guess there's there's a something good ha- gonna happen soon sooner rather than later but anyways that that's what the show i think uh, hinges upon and uh kino gets um uh persuaded and then yeah from then on it's a masterful episode of uh, the great escape and um they realize that the, the guards to them once order has been uh i guess uh, chaotically <laughs> stopped uh or come to come to a pause for them they don't even know what to do like most of these uh the guards and stuff like that they weren't even prepared for this they're like wait this is not supposed to happen so it became quickly like a um a rampage to the to the top and uh i i disagree i think uh that's the terrible irony and tragedy of um of the situation is that kino just couldn't swim and some people make it out and some people don't i mean this is even like in the old kind of escape and war movies right back in the day there's always that one tragic character who who just doesn't make it out um i think mm-hmm. that's what kino represents but but he also represents you know the person who believed the most in the system rewarding him for being um obedient and sticking to his job you know that middle management thing i'll 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 do the job for you i'll make it easy for you i'll take over this unit um and the more i do it the more i'm likely to get what uh what's coming for me and then he realizes that that's not true mm. and then he does the whole withhold your labor power speech <laughs> you know stop working it's like a unionist <laughs> um, in yeah and for real and i think that speaks to both sides at the moment in the real world because stop working means uh for the libertarians means stop working for someone else and for the leftist the left leaning it means uh, uh redistribute and uh, uh rearrange the uh working conditions right right yeah and 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 with the world order or the galactic order that the that the empire um is instituting is based on a it's a globalist vision of everything interconnected but at the same time it creates all of these borders it creates this state of affairs where everything is being surveilled and whether it's money or people to get something to to move quickly it has to be smuggled that's that's the interesting part of this right and so this is kind of a foreshadowing of how you know the empire will eventually fall right they say too big to fail i say uh it's too big not to fail right <laughs> to kind of like throw that in the face of 
you know, the financial elite in the world. And to speak about that, I almost forgot about this uh, <laughs> this character who really is uh, an exceptional symbol of financial capital in this particular time period that we're living in, right? And that's that's Davil, uh, oh, the Davos. banker who comes to help, or Davos. I think it's Davo, but it's. I think it? you're right. It it should be Davos. It's uh yeah, it's Davo oh. Skulden, but it's the name is obviously reminiscent of right the world that World Economic Forum is is held every year right in Davos, yeah. Switzerland. I found that interesting. I know the writers are are not dumb people, and so they know what they're doing. They have people there who are astute observers of world politics and history. And so I found that not to be uh, a coincidence. And so he's there and he's twisting her uh, towards his path. Right. And he's calling forth uh, a particular because he's the one who can make borders porous. Right. He, he's he's in a sense kind of a representation of like an offshore banker uh, who helps you uh, avoid taxes and to get your money to places that uh you know, it, it goes against what you were talking about, the redistribution, right? So you have these these kind of two sides. But this guy, he's obviously, if it does work for Mon Mothma, this will go towards helping a lot of people. But she has to make, a, again, one of the grand um, themes of the show is sacrifice and to, to um, a lesser extent, uh, martyrdom. Uh, and so that that's very interesting to me because... There's obviously so much moral complexity in the show that Mon Mothma has to work with what she would consider such a vile character, a vile human being. And he institutes, you know, these ideas. He has like great one liners, right? Like he just <laughs> the, the, the stuff that he says to her, right? Like um, discom yeah. discomfort is the price you pay for a business or something to that effect. Yeah. I found I found him to be. A very interesting character, right? And that's the the person that we don't see in most of the Star Wars narratives and depictions, and and whether they be other shows or movies, we don't see those figures who probably play big roles in the background, right? And so this guy, he's making borders porous for Mon Mothma and Andor and his his constituency in the prison are doing the same thing, right? They're trying to break through the imposed borders of the empire, right? Because it's, it's, it's as you said, what Andrew was saying, right? These, these are, these are tactics um, by people who are panicking, right? Power does not panic. And what we see with the empire is they're very reactionary. Their presence on Ferex is reactionary. They want to quell yeah. uh, this protest that's happening. So I, I thought that was interesting. I thought that character was interesting. He he comes to in effect you know the diaspora that's living on Coruscant and he's using tradition, the Chandelurian uh, traditions to kind of you know hook them in and of course, um, Lita, the daughter of Mon Mothma, is a diasporan to the core. She believes in the the myths and the traditions of her people even more than the people who are probably on her on her homeworld. Right. Um, mm. Every bit of the show is laden with meaning. It's like you got to keep combing over it to see what's happening, where things are going, right? And Mon Mothma, of course, has to make the sacrifice to work with Davo. And then, of course, um, what we can perceive to be the setting up of, of an arranged marriage with her daughter and his son. And it, it shakes her to tears and to the point of quivering with uh, 
a type of inconsolable, melancholic, you know, stare, right? Yeah. But I thought of him as old school, off the grid, black market gangster who was seeking, you know, for him, this is an opportunity to legitimate his, uh, his business, which in the old days, if you had to get a rebellion off the ground, you had to deal with that was kind of like the, the, the ugly side of it that nobody wants to talk about or or you know no, there, there's not enough pages written about it especially from the the winning side that they had to do that or they launder it's like, it's like uh they both laundering each other right the, he's making her finances uh work and she's kind of uh laundering her his uh his uh his business his illegitimate business he, he I means it's funny you say borders because he has that line about how he likes the Chandra, uh, was it Chandrila, Chandrila, Chandralayan marriage tradition, where he says um, boundaries can be liberating. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, traditions have uh, have values, so he doesn't really mind, you know, the whole arranged marriage thing and stuff like that. So to me, he he seemed like an old school character, not necessarily like a, I guess, new school. But yeah, uh, he he does want to have. Um, like, um, you know, new, new channels so he can move things so he can build things more easier than how he has been forced to do business before. But it's his uh, opportunity. And um, I guess, you know, that's, that's what's so brilliant about the show is it shows you for a rebellion to even get off the ground. You need a an Andor. You need a Luthan. You need a Saw Gerrera, And you need uh, a Mon Mothma. And you need a, a Davo. Right. So it's it's just uh, pick, picking up um, all the pieces that it takes. And most people today don't see that. Or they see it in a kind of official way, in a, in, a, in an online way, I guess. Mm. But that, that doesn't really happen. I don't know. That's I, I guess that's why it's so easy to uh, just watch on TV. Because rebellions don't really happen. Not like this anymore. It's... Uh, this show is about uh, a show. The show is about a a film that started itself to. Because it, in my mind, I've been uh, kind of thinking of Star Wars as a whole now as uh, kind of the postmodern answer to anti-colonialism and anti-imperialism. Mm, right. It's, um, you know how the, the market made sense of it and turned it into toys and and um, like you know storytelling devices for. For, for commerce to be bought and sold and and so on um so you know there's like uh, all the reality of empire and and uh the post-colony and uh rebellion and martyrdom all that stuff the cold war all those uh you know proxy wars and stuff all that gets squeezed through this chain mail i guess of uh of postmodern interpretation and then built up into something you can buy and sell in the west and then uh, you know, future generations like us get to uh, to look back through that um, those holes, those those chain mails to to another time that we don't really have access to, or we would like not to have access, uh, you know, not not like to be reminded of in the in the in the real sense. Right. So that's how I kind of think of Star Wars, but um, that's why it gets to be so brilliant because it gets to this is as close as you can get, right? It's uh, uh, this is how it was, and uh, the fact that it's Star Wars. It's just because uh, this is, it's the only way to uh, to dress it up in a 
in a, in a popular way anyway so there's a lot of documentaries and movies and shows and whatnot that will do this stuff but for star wars to do it is um because it's i think our premier postmodern kind of incubator or um i don't know melting pot for all of that real shit that happened last century right um yeah and and uh, it took all of that back then i don't know what it takes now um i guess it's everybody just needs to vote <laughs> certain <people. laughs> <Right>. <laughs> point of view right <laughs> you know what's crazy is i think vel the character vel yeah because i think that's for me would be the um the analog for the audience member who would think that this movie is or this show is talking about trump i think that's she kind of represents oh. that kind of privilege it comes from money comes from agency and uh really is taking baby steps towards the real deal mm-hmm. whereas cinta is the is the real deal and um right the the person who identifies with vel in the show i would think as uh, someone from you know modern day whatever Re- represent representational republicanist politics of you know people power and voting power and um we will fight back the evil <laughs> right that's uh that's coming from po- you know the right wing populism I don't know. I'm, I'm just thinking of like the AOCs and stuff like that. Who 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 is it? Who called them? Um, the Squad. I think they're called the Squad. <laughs> right, that right, type right, of um, right. political person. Yeah, 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 yeah. That yeah, she definitely is representative of that type of uh, figure in in world politics or just world culture right now. There is there's you know, whole Whole Foods person, you know, who's concerned about everything. <laughs> right, right. Trying to do their part after. You know, so much has been extracted and taken. Uh, It's kind of a a balancing act, right? To kind of get your society out of the red and to bring it into, you know, the scope or the the sphere of fair trade, doing fair trade, doing uh, cross-cultural exchanges, uh, you know, boosting up foreign direct investment. Or saving the whales. Yeah, like it's, it's, it's society's guilty conscience. Well, Western society's guilty conscience. You know the 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 one that was that was chilling. You know that they, they their reason yeah. to enter this is different. Uh, and but I I also like the um, nuance there because it, they split that character into two. One is Mon Mothma, the other side of that, and uh, her character is much more interesting because she's a politician who uh, essentially gives her family up um, and and gets her hands dirty. And she's speaking to Luthen. I don't know anybody who speaks to Luthen or Saw Gerrera. I mean, Luthen right. is protecting her from the Saw Gerreras of the world as well. So there's that, there's that right. chain, you know. And Saw Gerrera represents really what the righteous anger and the resentment that boils up from the bottom ranks of society. And I mean, what this show does, it's very true to the political economy of you know the world we're living in at least in the west well in other countries outside of the west and the global south it's an even more pronounced contrast because uh, there's no real middle class right and we, we i forget which episode we talked about that but it's in one of the andor episodes and so aman matha is so hard to come by in this day and age because there's no middle to intermediate or to 
bring in a, a, a true kind of moral vision, right? A moral vision that's probably more black and white, less gray. And so it's interesting. We, we see such a, a such a, a disparity in wealth and status in in this in the Star Wars universe that's being you know ruled over by the Empire now, and it's a, a similar thing that's happened in the world. And so you you basically have people's time co-opted. So the super rich have fully embraced the hustle culture of the hip hop era. And so they don't take leisure. There's no there's no leisure time like the old upper classes of the world. It's to truly show your your sense of uh, wealth is to show how busy you are. Right. And at the bottom, we just mirror that that kind of busyness. So we're always tinkering, doing something. And it doesn't give time to <laughs> understanding. You got to look like you're you're busy. Exactly. And then looking busy, in a sense, keeps your mind busy, even if you're not really busy. So you're not doing any real thinking. And so we don't have these intermediaries to make these kinds of connections stick with the goodwilled um, or good faith Mon Mothas of the world, right? They're out there just doing symbolic gestures, which is not completely their fault. There's nobody holding their feet to the fire. There's no Luthen. There's no Andor. There's the. There's no real talking relationship. Yeah, there's none of that. I mean, it's it's because it's all inverted. I don't really think of uh, America is the empire. That's that's what I'm saying. Like mm. an AOC is more like uh, Mera, <laughs> or at least closer to her. Oh snap! Because they oh, would shit. they would if they did speak to someone, it would Ooh. be. I like that take. That's interesting. If they were, if they were, if they were gonna, because that's what America does, right? They have people on the ground in every single country in the world. They have uh, right. folks at the ready to uh, to either spy for them or overthrow shit or um, mm-hmm. inf- you know inform. But there's no real middle class in these countries. But what I mean, even if the middle class existed, the, the desire for for uh, what what Nemec calls uh, freedom. You know, I like how he uh, defines freedom as a spontaneity, spontaneous thing. Right. Like that desire isn't there. The the, the desire for for freedom is the the freedom that's defined as individual liberties. You know, which uh, a highly stratified right. Western yeah. hemisphere can provide you. So all you have to do, all you have to do is what they did to uh, escape uh, Narkina. Um, so you yeah. You, far from desiring freedom for your for your pharynx wherever that your pharynx might be in the world it's actually the opposite you just want that individual yeah. um, you just want to win that individual um, reward at the end of your great that escape individual fight. and that's right. and that's the war the, the war itself is the escape it's the episode 10 of every immigrant and refugee to get out so that they can get some space to move space to think and uh, hopefully later on space to get busy <laughs> send some money home after that you know busy to get business <laughs> exactly and, and but i think that that's where the resistance comes from for from a lot of people who might be um watching this show expecting something else is that there's such a utilitarian flavor to the show everybody's making or the characters that we were watching like luthan and andor and Mon Mothma, they're all making utilitarian decisions, right? At the at the peril of their own personal happiness, personal legacy, personal glory, right? Mon Mothma does it with her family. Luthen does it with his own personal uh, sense of peace. Andor does it with uh, 
you know, his it's it's his own sense of um, community. And I think that that's what's biting to people and why maybe the show's ratings have been lower than even, you know, shows like Obi-Wan, which we were very disappointed with, or even, you know, the book of Boba Fett. Right. There's there's um, this is not about an individual story. This is about all the moving parts on how and how a revolution gets started. And there's great sacrifice there. There's a utilitarian value that's being promoted. And that's very old school. Right. It's like, what? I'm going to do that for who? Nah, I'm going to do it for me. Right. Um, You know, that old hip hop saying from the 90s. Right. Fuck you. Pay me. It's uh, that's, that's, that's really that's really <laughs> the, the ethos of you know, the time period that we're living in. So that's why the Andor is just such a biting critique on that cynical worldview, you know? Yeah, I, I, like, again, um, this show is almost like there was a parallel line from 1977 till that um, was producing this type of show all the time for 40 years. It was just in an alternate universe. Yeah. And somehow uh, in 2021, we uh, 2022, we... We slammed into one another and we're we're reacquainted because on the, on our side we were just uh, building up uh, stock characters or archetypes like uh, Luke and Anakin and uh, and uh, the Emperor and uh, Darth Vader and so on and so forth and Leia. Uh, what what Andor is is telling is harder to sell, which I believe a company like Disney, especially under Iger, is okaying because in their mind they really do think that this is a show about the current time you know within 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 the liberal west where they think their liberties are being um eroded you know right uh, women's rights and uh racism um right. you know making it harder to vote for black folks and all that you know, all that gerrymandering stuff and all that so um i don't know it's um it is what it is it's it's the weirdness of uh, postmodernism is that you can have a podcast talking about uh, a tv show Made, made in Hollywood that talks to, to about uh, anti-imperialism but through several lenses of um, you know postmodern kind of late capitalist um, softening I guess call it softening um, but anyway that's uh, that's episode 10 I guess most of that that, that was where, episode um, 10 yeah, yeah that's the main thing that I had from those um those moments is is the the need for Davos and Mon Mothma's uh, uh, you know predicament. Um, I, I guess you can wrap up uh, Mon Mothma's angle is she, it's a brilliant piece of writing that she has always suspected her driver to be a spy, so she lets them believe that her husband's gambling is the reason why all this money is missing. Right. And she lets him take the fall, and that it, was genius. Yeah, yeah that was awesome. that was awesome. Mm-hmm. And she takes the information to what's the guy's name, Brevin, and he swallows it up, and he says, "Okay, we can we can use this to exploit her with something, right?" But it's uh, <laughs> uh, they they don't know that they've been duped, and she plays that very well. That's very 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 um very wily, very clever. Yeah, that that type of writing is amazing. Yeah. Just real quick, the the music. I don't know if you noticed this. So apparently, every episode's uh, be- beginning of the the Andor title card, there is a piece of music being added with every episode. Yeah, I noticed that. So that's like all of the constituent parts of a revolution kind of coming together, exactly. right? So 
that, and that's how you know the, the last episode it's it has the whole band come together right they're tuning they're fine-tuning their instruments and then they start to march uh, for Marva's uh, funeral which ends up into in in Marva's right. speech which then begins the the first rebellion I guess in Ferrix which was uh, dope I mean that's that's musical storytelling yeah because um, as as it happens over the several weeks 11 weeks you don't really realize you realize it but you don't know what it means and then it all comes together at the end um, that was awesome too Oh yeah, that, that music that they played was fantastic, right? It was uh, real instruments. There was no, no contrivances or contriving of sound. It was it was music played by workers, and you can feel like you know the bone to bone reality, the 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 real rough, rugged, and raw expressed in that. People who are in the dialectic of life, who've been separated from their own indigenous life world or that way of being in the world with nature and understanding now happens human to human right they're not interfacing with nature anymore and so you know there's just that ruggedness of ferrex and what that means right like there's so much violence that goes into making workers and then there's so much real and psychic violence that goes into maintaining people as workers right you have to do all types of things to coax them into staying and not leaving and it's pretty wild, right? Like, um, you need all kinds of things to keep workers there, right? You, you need coffee. <laughs> you need uh, all kinds of management techniques. You need a kitchen, a water cooler, time off. Every, everything. Keep them right. And I think in the future, we'll probably do uh, something on the office and uh, the predicament or the plight <laughs> of middle management in the world and how they, they you know, they govern things, right? Um, whether in government as technocrats or as uh, middle managers proper in, in a corporation. There's, I guess, also like a little commentary on mod- modernism, you know, this uh, modern versus tradition mm. thing, which post-independence Eritrea is, uh, you know, every single thing was kind of diluted into this uh, opposition, um, you know, modern, progressive, forward versus tradition, um, backwards, mm. and, and and to think about it. Is it, a, you know, to constantly think about, is this a good step forward or is this, uh, is the old way better? Because within the, right. within the Mon Mothma situation, there's a critique of tradition, you know, criticism. This is not good. You know, we should, we should do away mm-hmm. with it. You know, arranged marriages at, uh, for teenagers is, is not good. But then within Ferrix, there is actually a, an exaltation of, uh, tradition, you know, the, that that whole march was a custom. Uh, they have customs to right, wake right. him up in the morning. The daughters of Ferrix. The daughters right. of Ferrix. The the it's a it's a bricks, um, town, right? And uh, there's this lovely. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they came up with it, but when one of their own dies, they turn them into a brick, which then gets added to the wall. So your ancestors are part of your right. part of your town. That's amazing. Do you remember the scene with Clem or? When um when Andor goes to Clem's brick and he remembers the conversations, you know it's a story about. I know that there's another father figure for Andor, uh, figuratively speaking, uh, for Andor in the show. But his father Clem, uh, a name that he takes on when he goes to Aldani, is you know it's so pivotal that conversation. I don't know if you want to get into that yet. Maybe that could be a segue into the speech that Marva gives, and then of course into. The one and only Luthen. Yeah, sure. But, go ahead. 
yeah, like it's it's he's having this conversation with Andor, obviously as a younger boy, because Clem he dies at the hands of the Empire, I believe, and he's hanged in the streets, like um, like he's a goat for slaughter. And you know, he basically he says, you know, people don't look down to where they should; they don't look past the rust. And he's saying, like, look how quickly this gets cleaned up, right? You can reuse the same thing twice. And he basically gives them an anti-capitalist speech, you know, about they don't sell this type of quality anymore because they want to make more money. But I think that <laughs> yeah. it's really a metaphor for the show, right? Because there's so many different broken people who get new life breathed into them, right? Whether they're Kino Loy, people like Bix. Like it's it's amazing, right? Like it's that's the mentality of a gorilla. It's it's we can reuse this a million times, put this back into the economic cycle where a product has more than one life. But the idea of the rust, right? The the kind of rust that happens in the cleaning that you have to keep doing to to maintain something, right? To conserve something. I thought that that was that was so important and pivotal. And the idea of rust goes into the speech of Marva, right? The mother, the adoptive mother of Andor, of Cassa, of Cassian, right? And she's, I think she says something to the effect of... You want to, uh, should I read the whole thing? Yeah, yeah, can you read it? Yeah, 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 um... My name is Marva Karasi Andor. I'm honored to stand before you. I'm honored to be a daughter of Ferex and honored to be worthy of the stone. Strange. I feel as if I can see it. I was six, I think. First time I touched the funerary stone. Heard our music, felt our history, holding my sister's hand as we walked all the way from Fountain Square. Where you stand now, I've been more times than I can remember. I always wanted to be lifted. I was always eager, always waiting to be inspired. I remember every time it happened, every time the dead lifted me with their truth. And now I'm dead, and I yearn to lift you. Not because I want to shine or even be remembered. It's because I want you to go on. I want Farrakh to continue. In my waning hours, that's what comforts me the most. But I fear for you. We've been sleeping. We've had each other and Farrakh's, our work, our days. We had each other and they left us alone. We kept the trade lane open and they left us alone. We took their money and ignored them. We kept their engine churning and the moment they pulled away, we forgot them. Because we had each other. We had Ferrix. But we were sleeping. I've been sleeping. And I've been turning away from the truth I wanted not to face. There is a wound that won't heal at the center of the galaxy. There is a darkness reaching like rust into everything around us. We let it grow. And now it's here. It's here and it's not visiting anymore. It wants to stay. The Empire is a disease that thrives in darkness. It is never more alive than when we asleep. It's easy for the dead to tell you to fight, and maybe it's true, maybe fighting is useless, perhaps it's too late, but I'll tell you this, if I could do it again, I'd wake up early, and be fighting those bastards from the start, fight the Empire. And boom, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently there was, a, there was talk of having the first F word ever to be uttered in Star Wars, so instead of her saying fight the Empire at the end, it would be fuck the Empire. Oh, wow, that would have been fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, you heathen. This is still, this is still PG thirteen. You know, show. these children need to learn. You can't, exactly, you can't be exactly. covering their ears. <laughs> like obviously, Lucas George Lucas, he said like this. Like Star Wars was initially made for children, right? He admitted that after a couple of years after he uh, sold 
uh, Star Wars to Disney for a couple of billion. And, you know, Andor is is Star Wars growing up. Right. Um, but yeah, to, to talk about that another time. But <laughs> what's interesting here is, you know, she says there's a darkness reaching like rust yeah. and then it glitches. Right. And so it's telling you, hey, this is pay attention to this. This is a key word. This is a theme because we haven't been tending to it. Right. It should be cleaned like you were saying. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So this is the cleaning. What Andor is going to be doing, what he's already doing in this prequel to Rogue One is he's cleaning. He's getting ready to be a cleaner and Rogue One. He accomplishes that as being, you know, somebody who is is removing the rust so that people can see things as they are and attribute value where value needs to be and have a real perspective on what's happening, the types of injustices, right? Because all these things are happening in isolation. And when people are able to put all of these desperate moving parts together, they can have a, a real idea about the state of affairs and the empire and then they can move towards action right i think nemec he's reading um i think we we're talking about this already but andor's reading nemec's book right yeah. when he's when he's 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 waiting when he's in ferrix in the episode uh episode 12 and he's hearing those words you know he's he's nemec's real audience and he's saying like it's every every army every battalion is a, a potential frontier for the rebellion right they'll wake up they'll see what's happening just continue on your course and Nemec is obviously a very you know a baby-faced young man it's an idealistic way of you know seeing a revolution uh, the kind of revolutionary hope that you need to carry on if you don't have that then you you're just you're in a world of skullduggery that uh <laughs> well you're in Luthen's world I, I think L- L- Nemec's yeah. <laughs> idealism is is not aware of Luthen's uh hellish kind of uh, understanding yes. of that because for because yes. for Luthen, it's, it's worth getting the empire riled up enough to come down harder in order to mm-hmm. to jump start what nemic is talking about you know when nemic is talking about the hopeful version of oh we'll see one town win and then when the other town hears about that victory then they will join and then the next one will join right um Luthen needs to jump start that you know mm-hmm. what will make the first town start what will make the first town town light up? It's because the empire has to come down, yeah. and its uh, cruelty has to be shown. Now, this is where I'm more, <laughs> you know, in in agreement and in line with with uh, power. You need to make, you need to lay power bare as as this ugly monster. You need to see the monster. You know, you can't constantly uh, right. look away. Right. Um, the more you look at it tomorrow we'll jump uh yeah he, and he manufactures it in aldani right the thing that causes all these problems for mon mothma and a number of people right mon mothma was able to move her money as she wanted to but aldani uh pretty much stopped that it made um the empire and his agents look at or the imperial agents to look at the financial flow of resources because they're like who financed this this is this can't just happen like who who's doing this right kind of like in brazil they're like who, who financed this right they're, they're trying to figure out who financed All right. the, the the what happened over there in their congress and um and so it comes down hard but for luthan it's it's well worth it this is his ally he's working you know almost hand in hand with mon mothma but he knows what this will do this will cause a lot of problems but it, it shows people what's possible and it also makes what I mean, I think his intention was, and I think he states it, like, you have to do something like this to make the empire go harder so that people can rise up in insurrection. Yeah, it's, it's not just showing them what's possible. 
showing them what's needed like this is what's needed and mm-hmm. this is why i don't care whether this is how power acts at the very end of its uh breath you know its last few breaths or whether it's at the very t- you know height of its uh its uh reign this is what it is you know this is what it takes and uh if the first mm-hmm. bullet is the beginning of uh decades of of warfare and bloodshed and and death and disease and, and all that all for the cause or whether it's, uh, you know, just like a, what people seem to be saying is America or American Empire just needs one gentle last push over the next few years. And uh, we'll all be dancing in the streets. I don't know <laughs> which whichever one it is. Right. It kind of right. I think this is the more, more important part. I think it's the, it's the laying bare of the uh, of the uh, state of affairs. You know, the, this is the antagonism here. And um most people feel quite okay with the way things are because um the ugliness hasn't been made apparent to them or you know or it hasn't touched them yet right so that's Mm -hmm. i guess some real world um version of it but um also just a quick one on marv i think when she says i always wanted to be lifted or when she says um first time i touched the funerary stone heard our music felt our history holding my sister's hand as we walked all the way from Fountain Square, there's like she's speaking of the the people and the tradition of Ferrix, right? There's there is a little bit of almost spiritual, um, like a little um, glimpse into the spirituality of that that citizenry. And mm. she, when she says, "I always wanted to be lifted," I always I was always eager, always waiting to be inspired. Said so she was open to, you know, some something, you know, some divine inspiration or whatever it might be. And that yeah. from there she moved from that into something that's more ideological and more real, you know, in a real material sense. She now she's more open to the need, the necessity for um, rebellion and fighting the empire. Right. And that that as well, I think, just reminds me of, of an older time when um, mothers were equally, um, you know, believers in their faith, but gradually also started to play their role in uh believing in the rebellion and in, uh, in the eritrean case in the 70s yeah. and 80s yeah. i know those mothers are not like kind of <laughs> um they're, they're not everyone's favorite um, <laughs> um they're tough. corner they're tough corner because yeah. post-independence they're just kind of you know um, happy middle class i guess mouthpieces for for a government that has overstayed his welcome and and, you know and and they're also diaspora right they're international so they they live a happy life in countries like italy and you know talk about selling their gold uh you know and so the activity of so they're saying to a certain extent that our generation has made sacrifices even if it wasn't me personally and now i'm gonna live this uh this very comfortable life in a diaspora and you those on the ground in the, the the nation proper have to make a sacrifice. Well, yeah, because things fundamentally change after the event of independence or whatever right. it is. Things fundamentally change, like the dialectic. Everything changes, so you can't keep doing what you were doing before. It's no longer romantic, you know. It's romantic for me to see Marva and her speech and what she stands for because she reminds me of a time. But mm-hmm. afterwards. Uh, Imagine a Marva that never knew war. Imagine a, or does is, is has lived such a long life, 
that um, she's she's lived more in times of peace than 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 uh, than war. So that's the romantic part of it, I guess. Um, but yeah, there's also some there's parallels of maternity yeah. and nationhood and purpose between Cyril and Andor and Cassian because there's mm. Cyril with his mother, their unique relationship, uh, yeah, <laughs> which yeah. gives him purpose yeah. to yeah. a kind of purpose uh, to. Uh, work his way up right in the corporations of mm-hmm. the empire <laughs> um it's it's uh cutting off his balls at every turn yeah and his mother is the only place that he he can uh, you know lick his wounds mm-hmm. but it's also the very place that he feels he has to escape to wor- work his way up back into that machine and um he sees someone that's why he's so fixated on uh, a female superior like uh, mara right um and then on the other side is Andor, who, who, who lost his mother while he was in prison, in the Empire's right, prison. Right, right, right. And the last message she left him was, uh, "Fight the power." It's the. Some people have said this is the line of the whole show. When, uh, what does she say to him? She says, uh, "Tell him I love him more than anything you could ever do wrong." And that's uh, wow. That is yeah. uh, something that yeah. every boy wants his mother to say to him. <laughs> <laughs> and that's I think that was the final kind of light the spark for him. Yeah, that's what it's it's he has to find new ground and the rebellion is the new ground. If his mom was the one who was his support, you know, gave him his values and the things that he could stand on that give him a sense of, you know, selfhood, you know, in that relationship and mm-hmm. then she leaves or she departs, she dies and it it really wakes him up from, you know, the long sleep that he's been in you know what i mean from going from indigenous uh, life world subject to in the dialectic of you know workers and owners and you know subjects and rulers and then he goes into this rebellion mode where he goes deeper into this dialectic this you know interlocked with uh, his relationship to his mother because when he leaves he doesn't want to leave because he doesn't want to leave her behind but she pushes him because she understands that you know he has to kind of rip off the uh, the bandaid there that she that she that every mother is for especially for sons you know he has to be sent into the wild in order to be wounded wounding in a, in a kind of primary way where you you're for the first time away from uh, you know mother's milk right right right, right. <laughs> and um, she's hoping. She's gambling that he finds his way to the to what he needs to get to. If she's not alive and for the time he comes back, then so be it. Um, she knows that in the end, that's um, that's what he needs. He doesn't see it at the beginning, right? Remember when he's leaving, he's begging her to, like, I can't leave you here like this. Yeah. And um, and that's the thing. That's why it's so kind of tragic, but also necessary when he comes back and he hears these words from I think Brasso is his name who. Yeah. gives them the message this is what she wanted me to tell you mm-hmm. and um yeah that 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 move that you're describing from where he was to where he is now it's kind of necessarily it takes it takes place over um you know th- those steps have to necessarily take um take a few steps over his own you know relationship with his mother as well so she's a necessary kind of loss there an anchoring loss it's, but he's in a transitory period right and he needs he needs that type of affirmation 
to give him psychic stability, the type that, say, like Moon Knight from Marvel didn't receive, right? And it, and it causes all kinds of uh, psychic horror for him or psychic uh, disturbance, right? And so it's, it's, it's necessary for him to take that, that next step. I see you, right? I see you, just like they say in Avatar. That's basically what his mother said. Like, I will love you unconditionally, even from my gravestone. And like that's powerful, right? But let's get to uh, you said something that was in- intriguing to me because it's a it's a good segue to get to that one of the best speeches I've ever heard in my life, um, by Luthen. The segue of you know when uh, <laughs> when groups of in power stay too long, or what happens when a Luthen becomes your prime minister or president <laughs> so let's go over that uh that um well damn what what i think is the first step is you need someone like Luthen yeah. to to get there to get the, the very concept of prime minister and country and flag i don't think comes out of you know i mean you can get given that thing right yeah. i mean we've in Afri- african post-colonialism is uh you know vast and varied certain countries generally were given everything they were they have citizenship statehood um primarily because uh the west that gave it to them wanted access to something in that country or they were not um they didn't have to fight for anything so they're constantly you know in this corrupted uh, state and uh, always uh there for the taking but anyways for something like yeah Something like um, a true post-colony to emerge, you need someone like Luther. And boy, is he in a dark place. That speech that he gives to Lonnie, you know, where he's saying, I need heroes and you will be my hero, right? So it's, it's he's looking towards, you know, the Lonnie's and the Mon Mothmas and the Mon Mothmas and the Vels to be almost like his kind of moral guiding light. Like, I need you to go out there. I've made so many sacrifices and I need you to go out there and be the face for this and be heroic. Right. So I don't know if you have, um, do you want to read some of what he said? Yeah. 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 I mean, and it's also like the, the timing was absolutely, they had to get this right. Cause up until this point, you kind of, you'd be forgiven for not liking this guy, you know, you're finding him shady, finding him. Oh, mm-hmm. I guess he's the, he's the other bad guy, right? He's the guy who's mm-hmm. good. was too bad to be good. Even though he does it for the good, but uh, when Lani tells him, "How about you? What do you sacrifice?" <laughs> he says, "When <laughs> sorry, um, uh, he says, um, what do I sacrifice? Is a calm, kindness, kinship, love. I've given up all chances at inner peace. I've made my mind a sunless space. I share my dreams with ghosts. I wake up every day to an equation I wrote 15 years ago, from which there is only one conclusion." I'm damned for what I do. My anger, my ego, my unwillingness to yield, my eagerness to fight, they've set me on a path from which there is no escape. I yearn to be a savior against injustice without contemplating the cost. And by the time I look down, there is no longer any ground beneath my feet. What is my sacrifice? I'm condemned to use the tools of my enemy to defeat them. I burn my decency for someone else's future. I burn my life to make a sunrise that I know I'll never see. And the ego that started this fight will never have a mirror or an audience or the light of gratitude. So what do I sacrifice? Everything. Wow. Wow. That had to uh, come at the the time that it did. So it works. My goodness, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, but also, I mean, it's what what would it take to be that, to do that to yourself, and then still have all of the, uh, you know, virtues and wherewithal of a of a manager, of a caretaker, some of a of a director, you know, someone who has to right. run shit to get things off the ground, to be almost robotic like in their. Uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like you'd have to have this somewhere tucked in inside you somewhere there. Uh in a hollow place. And then on the outside you also have to get shit done. And uh in this time I think this this person either doesn't exist or they exist in very small kind of contexts where they uh you know it's it's the <laughs> I always go back to string a bell and the wire. Yeah. You know where Nobody really knew who this guy was. Like he had mm-hmm. the mystery around him, um, or the uh, I always forget his name, the Eritrean academic, who uh, just one day up and left the academy and you know, decided to go to uh, the Horn of Africa to 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 get his hands dirty. <laughs> oh, the uh, Berhanunega, Berhanunega. Yeah, that, yeah, him. Yeah, um, Ethiopian guy. Yeah, yeah. I always stumbled upon his uh, the article that uh, explained his his this oddity. Yeah, and then everybody else is just kind of like, wow. I, is, is that what it takes? No, it can't be that. What it, that, that's what it takes. It just takes, uh, you know, good people coming together and uh, and then you know, look, uh, look what happened. Look how we stopped apartheid or some some shit like that. Right. They, you know, they see the outside part of. They look outside in. They don't look mm-hmm. Chris Hani side out. Yeah. You know, even in the South African context. So um, that's uh, Luther and uh, I don't know. I guess we could have talked the whole episode just about that. But. <laughs> yeah, like just like imagine though, like. What somebody who says that, you know, my ego ego will, will never get, you know, an audience to kind of give him the gratitude that he deserves, right? What happens when somebody who's made those kind of sacrifices comes into the life world of a society that's been emancipated from the shackles of colonialism or imperialism? Like, what happens when, when he comes back home, right? This hero... And he's made all these great sacrifices, had to do all these kinds of things. He looks at everybody like, like, what's his name? Was uh, Sometimes I go watch his videos on Paul Gagame. Like anytime like a Western journalist will bring up his, very shoddy in a human rights record at, at, in his home country, uh, Rwanda, he'll always say, essentially to the effect of like, where were you? I was in the bushes. He'll always bring that up. Like, who are you to speak to me? <laughs> I've made the greatest sacrifices. You go to your little nice... Yeah, everyone seems like an apparition to you, right? Yeah. At that point, exactly. people don't seem real. It's like the uh, PTSD of uh, someone who comes back from war and he's expected by society to go to the mall. Like, just sit down at a mall and look at people eating ice cream. That, does, that concept doesn't make sense to him. It, it's... Uh, there's a like a mental transformation and yeah that's um that's what happens i mean that's why lutheran becomes uh, dangerous in a time of peace but why most lutherans don't make it out as well because the 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 the, the biggest lutheran is the first one right <laughs> the first lutheran has to also kind of die which is i mean what we're gonna say is about the if if someone like lutheran doesn't have an audience it turns him into a masochist You know, in a way, kind of like you know, you can. Right. But he's also not allowed to be seen, so he has to hide. You know, he has to hide from others, but he also has to hide from himself. Uh, that's why that's right. 
what when he's in episode 12 for the first time he gets to see you know he's finally <laughs> allowed to see like at least he gets his he gets his sadistic urges out of it you know which everyone has and, but he looks troubled he looks does he look troubled i thought i don't know i mean his face doesn't say much he, he... wasn't a sense of satisfaction but it's almost like oh wow like the seeds i've sowed i'm looking at it and it's it's supposed to happen but there's still a, i think a sense of despair at like you know the cost right and that's that's where you get a glimpse of his humanity when he's looking at the city from you know on high and i don't know i i i, I thought he was just i thought i saw a blank face like he was just observing mm. for the first time i mean maybe he was even getting pleasure out of it i don't know he's he, he's not allowed to see right what the fruits of what he's doing is it like that mc8 line from uh menace society where he's like, I, I, I spent so many years putting in work. I, I just want to see other people do it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you grab a you grab a certain sense of satisfaction of other, seeing other people sully their hands, you know, get get their hands dirty. I just did it though. <laughs> I put menace of society and Star Wars in the same sentence. I did, <laughs> I did do that. <laughs> I, I forget the last scene. What what does um, uh, Cassian ask him? Does he ask him? to kill him or something i forgot and then oh yeah and, and then Luthen just smiles at him like oh boy i'm doing the exact opposite of killing you there's no way i'm killing you 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 are <laughs> uh, have been reborn in this belly of mine this this hollowness of me <laughs> <laughs> right he, he becomes like a father figure right like he says kill me or take me in right and he's cassian says it teary-eyed and you know Luthen just gives him that half grin that smile that sly yeah, smile like you have no idea what's coming it's on to the break of dawn. So, I mean, season two, highly anticipated. Have they given like a, a timeline for its release? Have they started working on it? Like, yeah, I think they're on? they're they're shooting it, uh, but I don't think it comes out. It might come out towards the end of this year if uh, if everything goes well. But uh, before that, though, I was gonna say is uh, you know a couple of things that obviously the irony that uh, Cassian worked on the very thing that ends up killing him in the prison. That's the post-credit scene, right? He, right. Uh, all that goes towards the Death Star. And isn't that the case all the time? Where, and that—that that was my premonition or my intuition when I seen them in the factory making, uh, putting all those gadgets together, right? Or those metallic pieces together. I was thinking to myself, are they making the instruments of their own destruction? Like, what kind of metaphor is that for us, right? Are, are how many times are we complicit with creating the the, the things that? bring on a, a a sense of our own destruction you know that could be a thought that you know just just to think along with that yeah, yeah. i mean it's it's like uh paying taxes <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was i was just saying uh in the show you get to see it you know unfurl basically because you see cassian work on it in, under horrible um, you know circumstances conditions um, and then that thing that he's working on is the, the very thing that, you know, we get confirmation in the post credit scene is the Death Star, which, of course, ends up killing him in the ultimate mission, the mission that begins it all, that starts it all. Um, right. Yeah. Obviously, Rogue One is an awesome prequel. Uh, Andor is an awesome prequel towards Rogue One. And uh, this is all the, the preconditions that are being set up for that that great chase that, you know, Darth Vader makes uh, as he captures Princess Leia, right? You know, as it begins in A New Hope. To get all of that backstory there, 
gives a sense of relief <laughs> for me at least yeah this is the story before the uh the toys <laughs> you know the the, ar- the the archetypes that uh, that you can easily mold into something that you can sell um i was gonna say is um before we forget because we are coming towards the end the the bit about the rust that you talked about um yeah. which is the only quick one it's, it's not just the you know the, the constant cleaning and the, and the and the keep up that it takes to maintain i guess a healthy uh, workshop <laughs> and in it also applies to humans right you gotta you know upkeep got to maintain upkeep of your people you got to clean them up you got to get keep the your socius uh, rust free and that's what also you know tends to be forgotten in um in a post colony so um there's something beautiful in 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 the sense that it can also apply to to the humans around you you know if you uh, give love you might get something uh out of that can I give an image that just kind of puts all of this, like what you're saying, like, which is such a, a important point, especially an important point to leave on and to emphasize is that I remember when I visited or when I went to go live in Eritrea in 1999, you know, I was like hanging out in the countryside a lot because my family lived out there. And obviously, you know, you know, there's tanks that are just left there. They rust. There's uh, old you know, Kalashnikovs uh, or whatever, you know, you just see laying around just just rusting. Right. And that's 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 symbolic of something. It's it's what you were saying. Right. Yeah. There, there was parts even in Asmara that, um, you know, um, like near space and stuff where there were still bullets and stuff. And I mean, at, at first you could see that there was so much that to go through that the cleanup would take years anyways. But at a certain point, I also feel like it just kind of got uh, disregarded and there were right you know shells and bits and pieces of uh I, when i was a kid i wanted to see it you know like whoa <laughs> it's like uh oh yeah yeah i was running up on those things checking them out yeah. like you know obviously scared because you know they were like hey there's mi- there's mines out here and i'm like yeah like when i'd be walking out in the desert it sounds romantic and idyllic, but it wasn't. I was chased by dogs and kids, so uh, don't do it. <laughs> but you know, like you see all of this stuff, and it's just it just blows your mind. Like, oh, like, hey, don't go out there because there's a mine, or there's mines out there. And I'm like, I need to go out there because that's there. You know, obviously as a daredevil as a kid, but it was so stupid. But it's the real threat and danger that it's the danger has not left, even if you've uh, got independence. Right? There's so much that needs to happen after. Who, who's a custodian for the state? Yeah, I mean uh, that's mm. basically it. Um, that, well, my my point was going to be just the the last bit is just like it works both ways, right? Just like the love that you show to, cl- to clean the rust, how it also applies to people. Um, you could go the other way, in that um, there are also people who have been uh, completely doused in in rust and are running things as if you know there were still tanks and and mortars and and AKs and whatnot as if they were themselves that so if that's the tragedy of the Luthans of the world that you know are necessary to arrive at, at liberation freedom uh, from the shackles of colonialism or imperialism uh, obviously the both are conjoined as one as they're not two it's that they they become something other afterwards right when they come into they're not custodians they don't know how to be custodians they know how to deal with enemies and so they're always fishing for new enemies and that's the thing that dominates 
the the press in countries like this. Do you know what I mean? It's it's that's the Fanonian warning from from the beginning, right? Anyways, final thoughts. Any last words, my friend? No, no, just the keyword is is rust, man. You know, shake off the rust from 2022, I guess. Right. <laughs> But also, uh, it's, I think rust is a good um, metaphor or whatever to look through this uh, stuff. You know, yeah. There's there's still rust on you. You can't run this place. Um, uh, oh look! How, after I got rid of the rust on this thing over here, this person over here, look how it flourished. You know, right? right. Rusty. Right. Rusty Luthen. <laughs> <laughs> Rusty and Dusty. And I can't believe they're still around in 2023, but <laughs> well, it's, uh, <laughs> it's the way of the world. So, yeah, man, this this was a dope intro to the new year. Uh, 2023, we're going to get it on and pop it in no GPS, give you more of what you like and uh, really try to develop a relationship or really develop a relationship with the listen listenership um, and then find ways to, to get everybody involved in the conversation because Uh, you know, this is a, a two-way street. We learn from you and hopefully you can learn from us if we're doing our job right. But we're all on a, all on a learning journey together. And so let's keep this ship rolling with no GPS. Thanks for listening, man. Peace and harmony. Yeah, peace and harmony, everybody. I'm gashed up on that mash up with my glass up and I find I'm 